The following resource is brought to you by Real Life Community Church in Richmond, Kentucky. We hope you're both challenged and encouraged by this message from Pastor Chris May. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. You know, it's it's rare that we just would use one uh, verse uh, in our initial scripture reading, but this is actually a complete parable that Jesus gives in one verse, and it's profound, short but profound. And so Matthew 13, verse 44, I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. The Word of God says this, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up, and then in his joy he goes and he sells all that he has, and he buys that field. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and thank you that in this short passage, That it is just loaded with truth. Life-changing truth. And I just pray that you would prepare our hearts as we close out this year. We talk about treasuring you and valuing you and loving you and honoring you with our lives. Lord, I pray that, that we would not be at this church nominal Christians. That we would, Father, really have a relationship with you. It's one that is vibrant, one that is joy-filled. That we would walk in God-centered joy every day. That we would be satisfied in you, Father, every day of our lives. Penetrate our hearts with this truth today, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, this year, the theme for our church has been treasuring Christ together. And within this, our aim has been and will continue to be to see and to savor the beauty of Christ and His kingdom. Because as Christians, see, we, we should see and, and we should view Christ and view His kingdom as supremely valuable. And I believe that that is the main point of this parable. That the kingdom of God is infinitely more valuable than anything else in the universe. How many believe that? Not too long ago, I I heard a well-known pastor of a large church, who I won't mention by name, preach on this parable. And he said essentially that the traditional view of this is wrong. Traditionally, the valuable treasure has been seen as the kingdom and Christ himself. And the man would represent us, the man who is in the field. This particular pastor, who's very eloquent and thus very convincing, went on to say that theologians have it wrong. That instead, Jesus is the man in the field and that we actually are the treasure. So I did some research and and there's really no respectable theologian that I've come across that interprets this passage in the way that this this pastor does. There's, There's no really debate historically on how to interpret this passage. And I realize that scholars of old could have missed it as they are not infallible. But these are individuals who, spanning across really many centuries, have committed their lives to the study of Scripture. And in my research, I have found absolutely no debate. So to say that they have all missed it, we have all missed it, is doubtful at best. Especially when the simplest rendering or reading of this verse, which the pastor readily admits as well as the context, seem to line up with the traditional meaning. 
So when interpreting a parable, and this is where I think this pastor misses it, you have to be careful not to read into it too much and assign every person or every little detail to some element. Parable is not saying that we can buy our way into heaven. That's not the point. The point is this, that Christ and his kingdom are supremely valuable. You have to think, Jesus is talking to a group of people, many of, uh, of which would at some point be faced with this incredible decision. Am I going to cling to Jesus and his kingdom and lose possibly everything and under great persecution, maybe even my life? Or am I going to reject Christ and hang on to what the world offers? See, Jesus is speaking to people who, if they come into his kingdom through faith, if they cling to Christ and love Christ and treasure Christ, it may cost them their lives. And the point of the parable is, listen, if this faith costs you everything, you come out ahead. Even if you die, you still gain. So I stand today on the shoulders of many great theologians of past and of present who've helped me in a really life-changing way to see the beauty of this short parable. In addition to my own study of the text, I have leaned very heavily on Dr. Piper, whose view of this parable lines up with the traditional view, and his love for this parable has influenced me profoundly. Matthew 13, see, is all about the kingdom of God. So let me ask you this to kind of solidify this argument. Are you the most valuable part of the kingdom of God or is Christ the most valuable part of the kingdom of God? That brings some clarity when you put it like that, doesn't it? Jesus is supremely valuable. And so this answer leads us again to the most natural and easiest understanding of this text. So I just tell you that in case that you've heard this interpretation somewhere else to hopefully hopefully bring some clarity to you. In this, So I want to just quickly, in kind of summary fashion, because we've been through this text before, unpack this parable one more time as we close out the year. And I want to begin by talking about the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God are synonymous. Matthew wrote this gospel primarily as a, an, evangelistic, an evangelistic tool to reach other Jews. And as you know... Jews take and took then the commandment not to take the name of the Lord in vain very seriously. Something I think we ought to take more seriously today. So the best way to ensure that they did not take the Lord's name in vain was to do what? Not say it at all. So often they would interject a word, uh, the word blessed or heaven instead of using the word God. Uh, I read a, um, a book by a rabbi, a really prominent rabbi... Not too long ago, and in the, his book, when he would refer to God, he would write it out G hyphen D. So this is something even today that Orthodox Jews takes very seriously. So this is why Matthew uses uh, this verbiage. The kingdom of heaven, secondly, not only is it synonymous with kingdom of God, but the kingdom of heaven, as used here, refers to the saving reign of God. Now, when we think of the word kingdom... We often think of a territory, don't we? We think of the United Kingdom made up of England and Scotland and Wales and Northern Ireland. So we often associate a kingdom with a place. 
But more often in the Bible, the kingdom is referring to the rule and the reign of God, not the realm of God. This is important. Now, there are two different scopes when we talk about the realm of God or the kingdom of God. In the Old Testament, we would call this a very wide scope or wide view of the kingdom of God. And, and it's talking about God's sovereign reign over all of the earth and all of the universe. You believe God's sovereign, right? So in a sense, everything, everything in our universe belongs to God. Thus, it is part of his kingdom. Psalm 103, 19 says, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. That's that wide view. In Daniel 4, 3, it says that King Nebuchadnezzar says that God's kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion endures from generation to generation. So in one sense, again, you could say that everything is part of the kingdom of God. But let's look at this more narrow scope. The narrow scope of the New Testament has to do with God's saving reign or you could say God's family. This isn't a kingdom that everybody is a part of. But only those who know Jesus Christ as Lord. So in this sense, the kingdom of God is what we would call a spiritual reign. In which God rules over the lives of those who hallow his name. Those who love him. Those who treasure him. John 18.36, Jesus answers and says, my kingdom is not of this world. He says, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting That I may not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom, he says it again, is not of this world. So this scope of the kingdom of God can be equated with the sphere of salvation. And this is really clear when we go to a familiar passage. Jesus is speaking with Nicodemus in John chapter 3 and verse 3. And he says this. He says, truly I say to you, unless one is born again... He cannot see the kingdom of God. So this is the kingdom that the parable is referring to. This saving reign of God. And Jesus says, you have to be born again. Church membership doesn't grant you entrance into this kingdom. Being baptized in water doesn't grant you access into this kingdom. Because there's some some sinners who just go down dry and, and come up wet sinners. But their hearts haven't been changed. They haven't been born again. No, uh, we, we get into this kingdom. We have to be born again, which comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. These are people who love God and treasure God above all other things. These are people who know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Let me say one other thing before I move on from the kingdom of God. This This kingdom that we're talking about is both present now in part. And this is really good news. It's yet to come in fullness, but it is coming. It is coming in fullness. Dr. Piper explained the scope of this kingdom so well, saying, quote, that this reign is present in part, but will be consummated at the second coming of Christ. 
So the blessings we have now in Christ are great. Forgiveness, imputed righteousness, acceptance with the Father, no condemnation, the fellowship of Jesus by His Spirit in our lives, progressive transformation into His likeness, gifts of the Spirit, usefulness in ministry, all things working together for our good, etc., And he goes on to say, but the fullness of our inheritance awaits the coming of Christ. No more sinning, no more sickness, no more injury or calamity, no more depression or spiritual warfare, no more ethnic strife or racism, no more war, no more death. All that will come with the final consummation of the kingdom, end quote. So this is what we're experiencing now is as people who are part of the kingdom. This is only a foretaste, and it's good now. But this is only a foretaste of what is to come. So when Jesus here is talking about the kingdom of heaven, I believe he is talking about the narrow scope, God's spiritual reign, and the incredible truth that those who are in Christ, those of us who are born again, we get to be part of this kingdom, part of God's family. Which means we get the joy of experiencing fellowship with God now in part. And we get to look ahead with great anticipation to the coming of Christ to know that one day we will experience this in fullness. That's good news. Here's a second point I want to make. Christ and his kingdom are supremely valuable. Okay, now we know this by thought in principle. Matthew 13, uh, 44. Let's go back here again. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. Let me talk to you about treasure for just a moment. People go to great lengths to, tre- to, to obtain what they treasure, don't they? Growing up, our yard, like my house, was immaculate. But the land on the, on the north side of my house was somewhat uncultivated. You know, boys love to dig, right? And so my brother and I, we love to dig. But my mom had a beautiful shrubbery in the front, flower beds in the back, and a little garden, these kind of things. We couldn't mess with those. But we had this uncultivated piece of land there on Carolina Avenue on the north side of our house. And it was, it was awesome because we got to dig. It was just a strip of dirt. like, uh, and, and we just got to do whatever we wanted there. And so I remember my brother and I thinking that, you know what, there's no flowers or there's no bushes here. We, there's got to be treasure. Right. There's got to be treasure. That's why nothing has been planted. So we get this idea that we are going to just dig and we're going to be rich beyond our wildest dreams, which at that time would have been like 10 bucks if we, you know, like we, we were so excited. And so we dig and we dig and we dig. I mean, we spend weeks and even months, probably into years out there. Just we get bored. We go out, dig some more, dig some more, dig some more. Just determined to find treasure. And then to make matters worse, I had a, a crazy neighbor come out and we had lots of those. And they told me, they said, Chris, if you will keep digging, you'll actually make it to China. And I believe them. And so we kept digging and digging and digging. And my point is this. When you think there is something valuable in life, when, when there is a treasure, whatever it is you treasure most, whatever you deem is most valuable, you will go to extreme lengths and you will dig and you will dig and you will dig until you find that treasure. So I would have just asked the question today, what are you digging for? 
See, I know the churchy answer. If I were to ask any one of you, what do you value most in life? You would say, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. Like, I understand that's a churchy answer, but I'm asking you today, is that really true? See, the, the, the end of the year is a great time to reflect. So if you were to look at your calendar, and if in your calendar mapped out was every minute of every day, could you really say, if, if somebody just came in and they were to look at your calendar, could they say, oh, this person treasures Christ above all things? What about if we were to, I know we don't really keep a checkbook anymore, but if we were to somehow look at a, a check register and look at where every dollar went from your checking account, would we say, oh, this is somebody who values Christ? Because, see, I'm, I, I'm afraid many nominal Christians today know the churchy answer, but their lives scream that they're after the same thing the world's after. What is the world treasure? Money? Power? Fame? Tell you another treasure in this world, sports. It's no different than the church. Now, when I'm talking about treasure, I'm talking about what you value most. There's nothing wrong with having money. There's nothing wrong with loving sports. I, I love sports. Jesus has given us all these good things in life to enjoy. They're meant for us to enjoy, but they're not meant to replace Jesus in our lives. They're meant to point us on to say, oh, what a good God we serve. See the difference? We've got to value God most. Nothing wrong with money. Just make sure it doesn't have your heart. And whatever it is in life, let let me give you one more example. Family. One of my one of the things I've seen happen over and over is is the prayer that God would bless Lord bless us with a child bless us with a child and then a child comes and God is put to the side and now that child becomes God in the home nothing wrong with loving your family you're 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 commanded to do that but Jesus said if you're not willing to hate your mother and father brother and sister you're not worthy to be my disciple what is he talking about What he's saying is, no, don't despise your parents, but you've got to love me more. You've got to love me more. That means for us, let me tell you what that looks like. We love our family time, and we're we're so grateful to be back in Kentucky with family. But years ago, we had a really tough decision to make as the Lord called us to Tucson, Arizona. Because we love family time, and we have these new grandbabies, I had to make this really difficult decision Am I going to take these little grandbabies away from my parents and my in-laws? But we were convinced the Lord called us. So I love my parents and I love my in-laws, but I love Jesus more. And I'm thankful for parents and and in-laws who are supportive of that. So that's, that's what we're talking about when we're talking about treasure. It's what do you love most? And look at your life. Don't fool yourself. Look at your life. Does it scream, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus? Or does it scream money, power, education? Those are all fine things. And as much as they don't replace your love for Christ. This is important because this is a question of eternal significance. Because here's what Jesus says, Matthew 6, 21. Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. To be a Christian is not to add Christ to your life. It's to become a new creation altogether. 
It is to say, Lord, I am yours. See, everybody wants Jesus to be Savior, but few want him to be Lord. But it doesn't work like that. He's, he's, he's both or he's neither. We profess him as Lord and think of that. If he's Lord, that means he calls the shots. That means I yield myself to him. That's what it is to be Christian. And let me just encourage you today, that's not a bad thing. Because we approach that and we go, well, what am I going to have to give up? That's not the way to approach it. We approach it like the man in the parable. We gladly say, listen, everything else now, my, the veil has been removed. The scales have fallen from my eyes. And I see Christ is infinitely more beautiful than anything else. And I'll gladly give up anything. Process of attaining the kingdom of heaven. That's it. This is not a, this is not a bad deal. It's not a bad trade-off. And this is Paul's heart. We see the personification of this in Philippians chapter 3. Paul writes this from prison. Whatever gain I had, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because... Of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for his sake. Watch this. I've suffered the loss of all things. And count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. It's powerful, isn't it? See, that's a different story than the man who Jesus talked to. The rich man, remember? Who was kind of braggadocious talking about, well, listen, I I keep the law and I do this. How, How can I be part of this kingdom? And Jesus says, well, go sell everything you have and come back and follow me. And the Bible gives us these tragic words. The man went away sad. It's not that Jesus is saying, well, you have to buy your way into heaven. Jesus knows this man's heart. He knows that money, career, whatever it is, has his heart. And if he's going to enter the kingdom, he's going to have to break loose of some of those idols. And so he says, go, get rid of it. Because I'm never going to be Lord of your life as long as you have this in your life. Paul, Paul, this man who was so prominent in this Jewish culture and a man who was well liked and educated. Knew what it was to have much and have respect and have friends and be liked all the time. And then he meets Jesus. And he's the one who, who wrote, remember... Through many tribulations, you shall enter the kingdom of God. There's no other path. So now, fast forward, Paul's lost almost everything that the world would deem as successful. Imprisoned, beaten, stoned. He's been, he he writes in chapter 4, I know what it's like to have nothing. Lost everything. Sitting in a prison cell. And he says, oh, everything I've lost? Rubbish. Dung in comparison to what I have in Jesus. That's the point of the parable. That if, not that you buy your way into heaven, that's not it. But it's the, the point of Jesus, and this is, this is seen clearly in Paul's life, that if this faith costs you everything, and the way our country's going, it might end up that way for you and for me. It may cost you your job if you don't renounce Christ one day. What are you going to do? 
Do you treasure Jesus? What if some terrorist puts a gun to your head like has happened all across the world and says renounce Christ or die? Do you treasure Christ in and say, oh, I counted all his loss. Even my own life as dung on this earth because I get the kingdom of heaven. And to live as Christ and to die is actually gain. And that means whether we have much or whether we have a little in sickness and in health, Christ is our sufficiency. He's our portion. He's our prize. That's why we can smile in, in a hospital bed and still say, God is good. He's an awesome God and he is to be our treasure. So I just want to close with this, this plea with you to not be a nominal Christian. Like the majority of Christians today. We live in a part of the United States where everyone seems to be to identify at least as Christian, right? By name. But I don't know if you've noticed there is a incredible spiritual apathy where people are religious, but they do not treasure Jesus. But the majority of Christians see again. They're after the same things that the world is after. Wealth. Status. All those things. That's not that's not what the New Testament church was after. Don't be a nominal Christian. Treasure Christ above all things. Here's the final thing I'll say. This is not a bad deal. The reason much of the church is so anxious, depressed, frustrated is because they're treasuring the same things that the world's treasures that will never satisfy their hearts. When you treasure Christ above all things, I told them at the halfway house when I preached this morning, I said, guys, you don't have to wait till you get out of prison to have joy. I said, if you treasure Christ, if you take on what I'm teaching you right now and you apply this to your life, you can be filled with joy in this place. Whether I'm a base or whether I have much, Christ is my sufficiency. There's joy. This is the path of joy. No other path will bring you joy. My brother and I, when we were digging, after months, maybe years, I don't remember the time frame, but... We finally came to the conclusion that our digging had been in vain. There's nothing here. We're not going to make it to China. It was a sad day. And you know what really worries me? That much of the world and even much of the church are going to stand before the great judge one day and realize they've been digging in vain. Father God, in Jesus' name today, if there's one here that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior... May they truly repent and call upon the name of the Lord. Lord, you are to be our treasure. There's none like you. You're the only one who satisfies. Help us as we move now into 2018 to love you, to treasure you, to esteem you, to champion you, to to give you every piece, every nook and cranny of our lives. Our calendar belongs to you. Our checkbook belongs to you. Our home, our children, our mothers, our fathers, it all belongs to you. 
And we want to pursue you with all of our hearts. Help us, God, to not buy into the lies of the world that money or power or possessions will satisfy us. Only you alone satisfy. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name, to treasure you above all things, to see you as infinitely, supremely valuable. Let us carry the preeminence of Christ in our hearts and our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more about how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ, or if you have questions about our church, you can email us at info at myrealchurch.org. Real Life Community Church is located at 335 Glendon Avenue in Richmond, Kentucky. We invite you to join us for worship Sunday at 1045 a.m. or Wednesday at 7 p.m. Visit us online at myrealchurch.org.